Psalm 62. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. In their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your hearts on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Thanks, Megan. Um, well, good evening, uh, Wollongong Baptist Church. Uh, it's great uh, to be with you uh, this evening. It's great to be able to open up God's Word together, isn't it? Um, before we get stuck into God's Word, why don't we uh, pray? Heavenly Father, as, as we come to your Word uh, tonight, uh, we pray that you would indeed quieten our hearts we pray that your spirit would be working in us, that we would have hearts that are ready to hear from you tonight, hearts that are soft, that are not hard, uh, that are ready and willing to accept what you have to say to us from this psalm. And Father, we pray that you would really teach us what it means to be more like Jesus uh, as we read this psalm tonight. Amen. I want to start by asking you the question, how you're feeling about the prospect of 2022. Are you excited about what this year might hold? Are you optimistic about the future and confident that 2022 will be a good year, that life will soon return to normal, if we know what that means now? Or perhaps are you fearful? Are you filled with anxiety and uncertainty about what this year might bring. Have the last couple of years been so overwhelming to you that you actually have no confidence in what the future may hold? Or perhaps are you just weary? Have the last couple of years just made you tired? Do you just feel exhausted at this point in time? Do you long for rest? Do you long for a time to recharge your batteries, to renew your energy? As I was preparing for this talk, I was reflecting on how I was feeling at this time last year. See, despite the lockdowns that we were in at, in, at the start of 2021, I had this really strong expectation that 2021 was going to be a return to what 20, um, 2019 was like, that it would be a return to normal, that it would be much better. We were told that vaccines were coming, that this would enable us to get back to a life free of restrictions. 
I was optimistic that by the end of 2021, that life would indeed return to normal. Friends, haven't the last couple of years been a real roller coaster of emotions as we go through this cycle of becoming more confident in what the future holds, only for a setback to arise and for uncertainty to fill our thoughts again? And with each setback that we face, it feels often that our confidence in what the future may hold slips a little further. Now, I think Psalm 62 speaks um, directly into the world that we live in, a world that's unpredictable, a world where we don't feel like we're in control, and a world where the future seems uncertain. And as we look at Psalm 62 this evening, I want to consider this following question. How do we find hope in an unpredictable, a chaotic, and an uncertain world? And I think the first thing we're going to see from Psalm 62, it's by trusting that God is our salvation and security, no matter what the world throws at us. So let's have a look at Psalm 62 together. And at the start of it, we see that David begins with a statement of what he knows to be true. Read with me from verse 1. He says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. See, David starts by stating what he knows to be true. That is, that he is able to find rest in God and to wait on God for salvation. A more literal translation of of verse 1 is probably, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Let me say that again. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. See, David has the confidence to wait on God, to put his hope in God because of his experience of who God is and how God acts. David knows that God is faithful faithful and trustworthy, and this gives David confidence to indeed wait on God. David's confidence is really based on God's character. And in in these verses... David describes two aspects of God's character that gives him this confidence. Firstly, that God is his salvation. That is, God is the rescuer. God is the one who has rescued David time and time again, both when David's leading uh, the armies in battle, but also in his personal life as he's fleeing through the wilderness away from Saul. See, this is a key aspect of who God is. The Lord of Israel is the God who saves. If we look at the big picture of Israel to this point, the defining point in their history at this point is the Exodus, that point where God powerfully saves his people from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. See, this is central to who God is. God is not just a God who demands offerings, who demands sacrifices, who demands works from his people. But God is a God who has intervened in history, who has acted to save his people from oppression and from slavery. So the first thing that David notes that gives him confidence is that God is his salvation. But secondly, that God is his rock and his fortress. When everything else else in life feels uncertain and unstable, God is the one who will stand firm. 
I think we often underestimate the significance of the idea of a fortress in the ancient world. So I think we live in a period of such peace and stability that we actually don't understand the fear that most people would have had living in an ancient world without a fortress to protect them. Um, I've recently finished reading uh, a history of the Byzantium Empire uh, and the city of Constantinople. Um, this is an absolutely amazing fortress city that was at the centre of the Roman Empire for almost a thousand years. Its security was unparalleled in history because of a combination of its geography, its architecture, and really clever military defences. See, it was surrounded on three sides by water, and it had these massive double walls that it was impossible for any army to breach. And this security enabled the city to become really the centre of culture, of art, of religion, of trade in that world, all because the people felt safe to go about their lives without the constant fear of attack. A fortress in the ancient world was really the ultimate source of protection and security. And this is what God is for David. David knows that he is safe with God. The very nature of God, that God is the one who saves and protects, gives David confidence to wait on him, to rest in him, in God, to trust in God's timing. What, what did this look like for David? What did it mean for David to wait on God? Perhaps the clearest example uh, we get of this in David's life is a time when he's being pursued by Saul in the wilderness. Saul is out to kill him because he's really fearful of David's claim to his throne. And one evening, Saul goes off uh, to relieve himself in a cave where David just happens to be hiding. David has this amazing opportunity to take Saul's life. See, in the past, David's been told that he, told by God's prophet, that he is indeed the future king. It would have been so easy for David to say, this is God's will. God has delivered Saul into my hands at this point in time. The easiest way for me to become king is actually to kill Saul. But no, David, despite the urging of his men, only cuts off a corner of Saul's coat to demonstrate to Saul that he means him no harm. And even doing that, he's grief-stricken. He says to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or to lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. See, for David, to wait on God means to act honourably, to act with integrity, to act rightly, to wait on God to provide a solution for the difficulties that he's facing, to wait on God to provide him salvation. David goes on in verses 3 and 4 to really outline his current experience. That is, the difficulties that he's currently facing. And in this section, David shows us a really challenge to that core belief that God is his rock and his salvation. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. David says, How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence, Surely they intend to topple me. 
from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Notice the way David describes himself in comparison to God. He's just described God as his rock and his fortress. How does he see himself in these verses? He's a leaning wall. He's a tottering fence. David feels like his own ability to stand in the face of his enemies is fragile. He thinks it's amazing that he's still standing at all given the assaults that have been thrown at him. And see the way that his enemies attack David? It's through trying to cut him down, by trying to turn others against him. His enemies may appear friendly. They may say good things when he's around and to his face, but behind his back they spread lies about him in order to damage him. And David has no confidence in his own ability to withstand these assaults on him. He understands that he is not in control of the situation. And it's really in this context that he goes on in verses 5 and 6 to remind himself about the truth about God. So as we have a look at verses 5 and 6, we'll see that they're almost a a repetition of verses 1 and 2, aren't they? But there's a subtle but important difference in, in the verses. See, in verses 1 and 2, David is stating what he knows to be true about God. In these verses, he's telling himself that he needs to continue to believe that truth. He's saying, yes, my soul, find rest in God. That is, I need to continue to wait on God and on his timing to deliver me from my enemies. He's saying, I know God is good. I just need to keep believing and trusting him. See, David's call here is a call for his head knowledge. That is, the things that he knows to be true about God to be reflected in his actions. He's saying, if I really believe that God is my rock and my salvation, I actually won't try and solve the problem by myself. But I will wait on God and on his timing. Friends, how important is that? is it for us to continue to remind ourselves of this truth about God? That God is our rock and our salvation as well. That he is the one in which we can find rest. In him we can wait in silence. How important is it for us to continue to remind ourselves to wait on God, not only in the difficult times of life when we're struggling, struggling, but in the mundane, in the day-to-day decisions that we make, that we continue to trust in God. And David moves on then um, to end this section of the psalm with really a call to all people to trust in God. Have a look at verse 8. It says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. So David's saying to Israel, he's saying to all the readers of the Psalms, and I I think in it he's saying, he's speaking to us directly here, learn from my experience. I know that God is my salvation, my rock, my refuge. He will be that for you too. What does this look like? Well, just briefly, I want to concentrate on one aspect of what David says here. David says two things, doesn't he? He says, trust in God, and he says, pour out your hearts to him. Now, I think at church uh, and in home groups and that, we often talk about what it means to trust in God, 
don't we? Rightly so. That is absolutely key to living as a Christian, to following Jesus. But I want to concentrate on David's call to pour out your hearts to him. See, David is calling on all people to be honest with God, to be vulnerable with God, to display our absolute dependence on God. I think the Psalms themselves are actually great, the greatest example of David pouring out his heart to God. For it's in the Psalms that we get this great insight into David's heart as he approaches God. Now, David's life is often open to criticism, and rightly so, but as we read through the Psalms, we get this picture of David's heart, which is just um, 100% for God. Um, He's so in love with God. Um, And as we read through the various Psalms that David's writing, we get a picture that's raw, that's honest, that's vulnerable, that's at times confronting, that's emotional, that's filled with joy, that's confident, but at other times is sorrowful. It's amazed at times. We get this amazing picture of, um, of David's heart towards God as he expresses all these emotions of what he's going through. See, I think the Psalms help us express how to think and how to feel about God, how to respond rightly Uh, both in our thoughts, but also in our emotions about everything God has done for us. Uh, For the last couple of years, I've been uh, really blessed uh, blessed, um, in being able to meet with a couple of other guys uh, regularly to pray. And one of the things we've been doing is reading through the Psalms. Friends, it's been a really great privilege to dive deeper into the character of God and explore how the various Psalmists pour their hearts out to God. Spending time in the Psalms helps us articulate what that actually means, what it means to pour out our hearts to God and be able to demonstrate our dependence on God in all things, in all aspects of our lives. So the first answer to the question that I asked at the start, how do we find hope in an unpredictable, chaotic and uncertain world is that is by trusting that God is our salvation and security Um, Sorry, is by trusting that God is our salvation and security no matter what the world throws at us. Well, I think the second thing we see from the rest of the psalm is by remembering that hope in God is more secure than hope in the world. In verses 9 and 10, David reflects on the ability of people to secure their future, that is, to control their destiny. And he sees that the conclusion he draws is that our lives are fleeting, that they're temporary, and that chasing wealth is futile. Have a look with me at verses 9 and 10. He says, Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your hearts on them. The overwhelming image in these verses is one of weight. That is, how heavy, how valuable something is. And in these verses, David is really weighing up the lives of people. I don't know about you, but 
I think we all strive to have a weighty life. That is, I think we strive for our life to mean something, don't we? Whether it's the achievements we make in our work, whether it's the things we build, whether it's the legacy that we leave in the lives of our children, or maybe it's the impact that we have on the lives of others. The desire to live a meaningful life, one that matters, a life that is weighty, drives so many of the things that we do and achieve in life. And often those things are good. But these verses are very sobering, aren't they, friends? It's, uh, David says that, both, that all people, both rich and poor, rulers and commoners, are but a breath. The word used for breath here is the same word that the teacher uses in the book of Ecclesiastes to describe life. In Ecclesiastes, it's translated as meaningless. When the teacher says meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. But in both Ecclesiastes and in the Psalms, this word also has the idea of breath or mist or smoke, something that is fleeting, something that can't be grasped and something that does not last. So no matter what we strive for in life, David's conclusion is in the end that it has no weight. And this is especially the case when it comes to acting dishonestly to gain wealth. Yes, it may lead to an increase in possessions, but in the end, these things don't add up to anything. So it's futile to set our hearts on them. Compare this to David's view of what gives his life meaning in verse 7. We skipped over it before, but let's just duck back to verse 7. He says, my salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. The word that David uses for honour here has the same sense of weightiness or heaviness. David is saying that his honour, that is the meaning that is assigned to his life, depends entirely on God. See, it's actually God's glory, his heaviness that gives David his honour, gives David's life meaning. David describes God over and over again in the psalm in these weighty terms, doesn't he? God is his fortress. God is his rock. God is the one who's solid, immovable, secure. In the New Testament, um, James puts it this way in his letter. Uh, if we have a look at James chapter 4, verse 13, James says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, on a cloudy day, I love watching the mist roll down the escarpment in Wollongong. Um, I think it's one of the most beautiful um, things about living in this city. I love uh, walking around Mount Kembla and just seeing um, the mist sitting on the edges of it. It's, it's so beautiful, isn't it? But, you know, if you ever try and grab it, 
uh, it, it's impossible to do. I, I find even trying to take a photo of it so that you capture the beauty really never does it just does it justice. You can see it from a distance, you can admire it, but it's not something that you can ever take hold of. And as the sun comes up, that mist very quickly disappears. James is saying, like Psalm 62, that our lives are fleeting, that we are here one day and are gone the next. What should our response to this be? Should it be that lead us to despair, that we just throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, it's not worth it, I'm going to give up? No, James is calling us to keep following God, to keep trusting in him and not to make foolish presumptions about what the future may or may not hold. I don't know about you, but I'm really bad at this. Um, If I see a problem, I just want to solve it. Um, I want to throw all my energy behind coming up with a solution. I want to take control of the situation. Friends, James's words here are so helpful. He says, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James is calling on us to prayerfully consider the future, to meditate on God's will, to wait on God to answer our prayers, and to continue to trust God when the future seems uncertain. In verse 11 and 12, notice the way Sorry, in contrast to the way that David has described humans in verses 9 and 10, notice the way that he describes God in verse 11 and 12. He says, One thing God has spoken, two things I've heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they've done. Now, The way this is written, and the language is a little bit confusing in terms of the numbers here, but I think David is saying that God has spoken once and he's heard this lesson a number of times. And David goes on to make a number of observations about God's character. He notes that God is powerful, that God is loving, and that God is fair. Firstly, that God is powerful. God is the one who is able to save and protect God is our salvation, our rock and our refuge. God is the creator of the universe. So we can have confidence that God is able to cope with just sorry, is able to cope with absolutely anything the world throws at us and to stand with us in all the situations that we face. But God isn't just powerful. God is also loving. God is not just able but he is willing to save and to protect. See, we know that at the heart of the universe is a creator who loves his people, who desires to be in relationship with us. So we can have confidence that because God is loving and faithful, he will act to save and protect us. And finally, he says God is fair. At first reading of the final verse in this psalm, It appears to be a call to strive to do the right things as God will reward everyone according to their works. But this reading of the final verse would really go against everything else that the psalmist has said and what we know to be true from the rest of the Bible. That is that no amount of striving can earn God's approval. Rather, in the last verse, 
David is exhorting people to trust in God's fairness, that God is a just and fair God who will always act in righteousness and truth. And this gives us confidence to be able to continue to trust in God no matter the uncertainty or suffering that we might face. The place where I think we see these characteristics of God displayed most clearly is actually in the life of Jesus. See, in the life of Jesus, we see God's power displayed as he heals the sick, as he calms the storm, as he drives out demons, as he raises the dead. God's love is displayed as Jesus came to earth as a helpless baby, as Jesus had compassion on those who were suffering had compassion on the lost, as Jesus wept with his friends and as he died on the cross in order to restore our relationship with God. And God's fairness is displayed as Jesus willingly took the punishment we deserved so that God could be faithful to his promises, that God could save his people, could save us, but that justice would be done that our sins would not be left unpunished. If you have any doubt at all about these aspects of God's character, we only need to look at the life of Jesus. So as we face a world where we don't feel in control, we may be tempted to doubt God's power, to doubt God's love, to doubt God's fairness. Looking at the life of Jesus reminds us that God has acted in history, in power, in love, in fairness, and will continue to do so. So as we start 2022, how are we going to approach it? Are we going to push forward in our own energy, in our own ability? Or actually, are we going to run to God? Wait patiently on him to answer our prayers. When the future is uncertain, when we don't feel in control, when we're exhausted from the struggles of life, Psalm 62 reminds us that God is our salvation, that God is our security no matter what the world throws at us. And Psalm 62 reminds us that hope in God is more secure than hope in the world. See, God has acted powerfully and lovingly throughout history to bring him to himself. And that the death death and resurrection of Jesus demonstrates that God will continue to be faithful to his promises. He will continue to save, protect and shield us. Uh, Friends, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess... Um, that so often we try to take your place in our lives. We so often try to live lives our own way and try to be in control of the situation. But, Father, we know we're not in control. Um, And, Father, we need your help. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is our salvation. Thank you that you have saved us through your son, Jesus. Thank you that you promised that you will protect us and bring us to yourself. Father, 
we thank you uh, that you act in power, in love, and in justice. And Father, as, as we start this year, we pray that you would teach us what it means to wait on you. Father, we pray that you would teach us what it means to pour out our hearts to you, to be emotional with you, to demonstrate our total dependence on you. Father, um, we pray that your spirit would continue to work in our lives throughout this year. Amen.